Hey everybody, welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. This episode, we're tackling a real-life retirement situation. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. You open your statement, and there it is, a shrinking balance. Maybe it's because the stock market went down. Maybe it's because interest rates went up. Maybe your bond fund is losing ground. Whatever's going on, what happens when you feel like you're losing a huge chunk of your nest egg? What can you do? You just sit there and you move things around? Do you sell everything? Do you freak out? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm Stacy Johnson, as usual. My co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hi, Miranda. Hey, Stacy. Let's uh, let's try not to freak out too much here today. Let's not. I won't freak out. I'm not losing my money. And today we are welcoming two special guests: Pam Kruger, a friend of our show, CEO of WealthRamp.com. And uh, Pam, how are you doing today? Hi, all. Great. And also, we have another guest, financial advisor David Frisch of Frisch Financial Group. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here to help us sort out this real-life conundrum. Where, where are you located, David? In New York. In New York City. New York City? Uh, New York City and Long Island, yeah. Where in Long Island? My wife is from Rockville Center. Uh, about 20 minutes away. We're in Melville. All right, then. Before we start the show, remember, folks, this is not financial advice. Make sure you do your own research. Consult your own experts. Before acting on anything you may hear on this podcast. Okay, let's dive in. Pam, you've got a question, right? A real question from a real person? What is it? And I thought that it might make for a good topic for a podcast because it's it's the client who's representing, I think, millions of people. So as you know, I connect investment advisors, registered investment advisors who are fee only and fiduciary to individuals looking for advisors. Well, Sometimes we have clients who will come to me and I get to get to know them a little bit. And in this case, this client was really questioning, look, I've got I've had this 70-30 portfolio with my broker forever. Nothing seems to change. It 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 just always stays the same. I'm looking for an advisor who can really help me figure out, is this the right place to be? And I kind of said to myself right then and there, aha, is 70-30 or 60-40, which means you know, high concentration in stocks for growth and the lesser amount, the 60, 40, 70, 30, the 30% being in bonds and in and, and cash and more stable investments um, for stability and liquidity. Is that typical portfolio that we've heard so much about from Vanguard and everybody over the years, is it dead? Are we in a place now where this portfolio is is got to be taken out back to the woodshed and shot because it's not working. Sure did work last year. And in the last year, yeah. this client was complaining. I've lost money both in stocks and bonds, both at the same time. So when the client met David Frisch, which was a few months ago, then David got involved in, in the mix. And now he, I wanted him to join us today if we could, so we could kind of get into this whole question. And, and because I think that this client is so representative, so many people. So David... This last year was one of the few years in the last century that both stocks and bonds have gone down. Is that true? That is correct. I think it was the first time in at least 60 years where the bond market was down double digits. How did you let this happen, David? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So so you've had a lot of customers like this, I'm sure. You know what? This this conversation is so typical, and and I have it so many times in in a day. Um, client, clients are nervous, and I think, you know, ultimately you've got to, 
the advisor is, is always trying to be the technical one, but at the same time, there's so much psychology and handholding that needs to go along with the advice itself. Um, I think the client questions everything at this point because, as you can appreciate, when the market's going up, people go online, they look at their balance, they see how much money they made. When the market's going down, they either don't look at all or, you know, now they're frightened. So that's, you know, one of the things that we talk about with clients almost every day. I'm sure. Well, you know, uh, David, I was a financial advisor way back in the old days, in the 1980s, actually. Uh, and I remember people saying to me, you know, I, here's the thing. I need to make 10%, but I can't afford to lose anything. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you because there's no way to do that. You know, and, and they're insistent. That's what they, do, you, do you get stuff like that a lot? We had a prospective client a few months ago that said, I, I want to earn between 10 and 12% and I want no downside. <laughs> and so how do you answer that? I, I basically said, look, I can't, I can't help you. There's no way that I'm ever going to be able to satisfy what you're looking for. You, you can't have a 10 or 12% return with no risk. It just doesn't exist today. And it, and, and it never really exists. So, you know, the, the, the previous podcast, uh, you know, in regard to a Madoff, I mean, it's almost like they're looking, they're looking for something that just doesn't exist. It's almost like when Madoff says in this menacing face and his menacing voice, y'all deserve it because you knew that, you know, this wasn't real. You wanted to believe it. You were so greedy. But, you know, my feeling here is that we're talking about investment strategies that are supposed to work well for investors, tried and true. And I can't help it. I'm like the person who always goes to metaphors. And I think about uh, highways and roads that lead from San Francisco to Dallas. And I could pick a road and ever, I really know that I'm guaranteed to get there. It just depends on which road I'm going to take because they're all carved out and they're set in stone and they're paved. But the problem with investing is this landscape is not, there's nothing paved. So the best we can do is understand the guideposts along the way. We only have guideposts, guys. We don't have highways. We don't have clearly marked, well-lit highways that tell us how to get to 10% or 8% or 6% with no risk. So that's why there are so many different strategies and there are some guideposts, 60, 40, or in this case with this client, David, you know, he really was, was questioning, is 70, 30, 70% of my, he's in his late 50s, I think, late 50s married, and he wanted to know, is the 70-30 combination, asset allocation, is that still going to be good going forward? Or is this time different? That famous phrase, is this time different? So, what, yeah, what did you say? You know, it. I think the beginning of the conversation is really, it's education. It's education because from the psychology aspect, you don't want to sell everything today with the market being low, I mean, that it's it's the opposite of what you should be doing. But in the same regard, you're, you're really taking a look. One, you want to evaluate the portfolio. You, you want to take a look at the fees. You want to take a look at the performance. You want to take a look at, you know, whether or not there's individual stocks or a single stock concentration or too much money in any one area. That's the first thing I think you need to do. The second thing you need to do is to also now start thinking about non-stock market issues. How much are you spending? When do you want to retire? When do you want to elect Social Security? Thinking about income taxes and, and capital gain ramifications. 
all of those things have to be integrated ultimately with the investment strategy to really create a plan. Well, that makes total sense. And just, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page here, too. For those uh, who are listening in, who are, are novice investors, when we say 60-40, we mean 60% in stocks, and we mean 40% in bonds or, or money markets or things of that sort. So you got 60% of your savings in the stock market. Now, actually, let me stop there, David. Is That sounds like a lot. Uh, it sounds like a, it's too scary. 60% sounds like a lot to have in the stock market. It goes up and down. It goes up and down a lot. Is, it, is that too much for me to have in the stock market? It depends is, is the ultimate answer. And, and I think, you know, when when you think about the equities versus bonds, you, you kind of think about you kind of think about a roller coaster. The equities, you know, are going to have a roller coaster in terms of upside and downside. And it's the bonds that are typically the stability. Last year was not that case. So historically, it was subtract your age from 100. And that was the percentage of equities that you could have had. And then they said, well, people are living longer and subtract your age from 110. And to some degree today, they're now saying 120. But the other rationale for many, many years, pre-2007, you could earn 5 6% interest. And for the last decade, you were earning 1% or 2% interest. Uh. So that was one of the reasons why the allocation was becoming more tilted towards equities because do you want 30 or 40% of your portfolio earning 1% or 2% where the rest of the portfolio is, is hopefully producing more? So didn't this kind of force people into an overly risky situation? It, I, I don't know if I would use the word forced necessarily, but I would certainly use the word encourage because if you're not earning anything on a significant chunk of money, then what do you do with it? And certainly with the market rising on an annual basis for a long time, it just seemed like the, the, the right thing to do um, without necessarily people thinking about the consequences. You know, I think that the 60-40 that we keep referring to, 60% in growth in stocks, 40% in money that's considered more safe and, and liquid and so forth, um, has been a plain vanilla decades long strategy. And if we're saying that this time is not different or are, or are you saying this time is different? Um, so, I mean, in terms of the fundamental asset allocation question, how much money to dedicate to stocks, how much money to have in cash, given now that you can earn 4% on your cash, where two years ago you were earning next to zero. So, I'd really like to know with this client, you know, the 70-30 client who came to you through me, what did you guys decide to do and how did you explain, yes, it's a little bit different, but no, fundamentals never change? Good question. So we we had multiple conversations. This, this was not a five-minute conversation to say this is what you need to do for the rest of your life. There, there were a number of different pieces that we talked about, one of which was he was considering retiring, should he or shouldn't he. He had some very aggressive hedge funds that he didn't know whether or not he was going to get his his money back. Um, he had um, a dream of buying a boat and whether or not he was going to be able to afford, you know, something like that. He was going to build a, a vacation home. 
So there were just so many external situations that were going on, and it all made it a very critical part of, of the conversation. Um, yes, you can earn cash at 4% today. What are we going to earn tomorrow? We don't know. Yes, historically, the, the stock market has returned 10% a year for the last 100 years. What are we going to earn for the next decade or two? We don't know. So this is really, it's an integration of how much risk do you want to take versus how much risk do you need to take. And when when you put those two together, and then again, it, it, it is a case by case. There's no one answer fits all. Um, but it's listening to the client. It's hearing their concerns. It's understanding that might what might be right for one client may not be right for another. Um, and it's really just trying to tailor the answer to make sure that you're doing the best for that client. Yeah, and you know, what you're saying is ob- ob- obviously correct. Absolutely makes sense. But it's, it also sounds kind of wishy-washy. I mean, because you know, when, you're, when you're listening to this, when you're a person who reads personal finance, and I've been writing it for 40 years, what you want, as a matter of fact, when you're a person, when you're a client who goes into a, an investment advisor's office, you want a specific thing. You want to, oh, here's what we do. We put 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds, you know. And, and the truth is, there isn't anything that's always right for every person, right? Correct. I want, yeah, I mean, I want, let's get back to the highway. I want to go to Dallas. I want you to tell me what road to take exactly. Yeah. I want you to tell me how long it's going to take to go there. I want you to tell me what the potholes are going to be. And by the way, I want to know if the weather is going to be okay too. Well, that's not investing. In, and I think that people have the perception that some people know how to take that road and, and they just keep it a secret or that it's only for wealthy people that they know how to do this. I'm here to tell you, nobody knows how to do this and all we have is we don't have a road. These guideposts are the 60-40. These guideposts are what David's talking about with, with taking into consideration all the different things that you need to do. And those are the signs and the signals that you have and you have to carve your own path. There's no paved road just only roads that other people have taken and you get to know from their experiences you know how did this work how did that work and some things never change but david i'm i i do want to know what did you decide to do with the 70 30 client we kept it at 70 30 we did change the allocation not not the allocation as much as the um very very heavy uh u.s didn't have much of, of, of uh, Europe or emerging markets or small cap and, and had a ton of growth. So although the allocation stayed the same, we did move some of the assets around. Um, but Stacey, I, I, I wanted to respond to your last point, and, and you are 100% right. The answer was a little wishy-washy. And I, I had a scenario yesterday. A client was 80 years old. And called and said, Dave, I need you to tell me that I have enough money to live for the next 25 years. And and then I said, I, I, I can't guarantee that you have enough money for the next 25 years. It's not like the client had $5 million and was spending $50,000 a year. It wasn't the scenario. And then she said, what about 20 years? What about 15 years? And, you know, there, there's so, and I think... My concern is that for a prospective client who would ask that question, there may be an advisor who would say, absolutely, I can I can take care of you for the next 25 years and you're going to be fine. Yeah. 
And then you've got other advisors that are going to say, look, I can't guarantee it. I'm being 100% honest. There's no way I know what the stock market is going to be. I don't know what your health is going to be. I don't know what your longevity is going to be. How can I make that guarantee? So it it is something, Stacey, that you're right. It is a little bit wishy-washy because at the end of the day, we do the best that we can, but we just can't guarantee it. And you, you know what? I was going to say this earlier too, David, uh, and I'm going to embarrass myself here, but when I was a stockbroker back then or an investment advisor, whatever you want to call it, um, you know that guy walked into my office, with, has a million dollars and wants, needs to make 10%, can't lose anything? I know, I know better than to promise that. But you know what? I'm afraid he's going to go somewhere else. That's the truth. I'm yeah, afraid because, because somebody, somebody, somebody else is going to say, oh, yeah, I could do that. They won't do it. They, won't even, they, they, they know they can't, but they'll say they can't because they want that client. Right. And, and that's, and makes it, that's pressure. You know, when you're in, this is how you pay your mortgage by getting clients. Right. And, when, and, that, and, that, and people get clients by making promises they can't keep. Stacey, uh, you're but not that one just of those means people. in a year or two, that client is going to say, you didn't make me 10 or 12% this year. I'm leaving. It's true. It's true. You so. know what, you guys, we have, to, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I, I, I alluded to this in the intro to the show, and I don't even know if it was supposed to be in the show. I kind of just made it up. But what do you, what do, you do when you open your statement and things look horrible? Uh, let, let's talk about that right on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Let me tell you about our sponsor. It's TELUS, the first savings app designed for home buyers by real estate experts. With TELUS, your savings are in more in one day than up to three weeks in a traditional bank savings account. What's more, there's no stock or crypto exposure, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Visit moneytalksnews.com forward slash TELUS to sign up. That's T-E-L-L-U-S. We'll also have links in our show notes. Use the code MONEYTALK and get a 5.5% APY for seven days with a $125 minimum deposit. Okay, we're back. So... David, let me ask you this. Do you, have, do you have clients that are friends? Many of them are. Many of them are very long-term clients. No, they become friends. But like, would you would you take... Uh, here's where I was going. I, I'm a stock investor. Have been for 40 years. I really like it. You know, made money at it. You know, whatever. But I don't ever give re- stock recommendations to my friends. Because if I do, I know that stock's going to go down. And I know I'm going to see that son of a gun at a party. And I'm going to have to talk about it. <laughs> and so th- that's why I, 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 I do not give... Uh, at least not risky. I give basic finance advice to anybody who will listen to me, but I, I would never tell somebody to buy a stock, you know, that I thought was going to go up. But the point is, when th- this happens, must happen to you constantly. You put somebody in something, you tell them they're going to, everything is going to work out, and, and you tell them it's going to be long term, and I'll be damned to 25 minutes later and I'll call you back going, oh my God, it's down already. Now what do I do? Do you have that happen? I do. I mean, there's there's always clients that are are a little bit more um, nervous and a little bit more anxious. Um, and I, again, I mean, the, the the client that Pam had referred over to me, um, he was telling me, I don't want this to be another 2008 and 2009. Do we sell everything? Um, look at how much we're down last year. Look at all the things that are going on now to indicate that maybe the market is down further. And I had to say, I said, well, do you remember what the S&P was at the all-time high before 2008? He said no. And I think the number was about 1444 on the S&P, give or take. I'm actually trying to remember myself. And it had gone from 1444 down to probably 650, 660, something like that. It was a mammoth, mammoth downside. 
Um, but today we're at 4,000, you know, and, and give or take, and, it, and it's always going to change. So as bad as 2008 and 9 was, and granted this is a 15-year period, uh, we're still two and a half times above where we were back in 2008. So you, you do have to put it in perspective. I mean, market downside happens. Statistically, three out of 10 years, the market is down. People's memory tends to be short. People remember the upside. They don't want to remember the downside. Um, you know, and then you, you, you're talking about when they, when they get the mail on the third or fourth day of the month and, yeah. and they're getting brokerage statements. What, what do they do? As you can appreciate, if the market is up on the third or fourth day of the month, nobody calls. If the market yeah. is down, you know, then there are a bunch of questions. Yeah. Um, but part of our job is 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 simply to reassure clients that they're in what they're supposed to be in. They're in it for the longer term. They don't need to be looking at statements or, or going online every 15 minutes. Um, it doesn't solve the problem because from a longer term perspective, they're going to be fine. Yeah, but but you get that call a lot. Uh, Miranda, have you ever opened a statement freaked out or you just know enough where you don't freak yeah, out? Yeah, so I haven't freaked out for a long time. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah. And actually, interestingly enough, the thing that really got me super interested in dividends and index funds was uh, when I first opened a Roth IRA way, way, way back in the day with an insurance agent. I know, I know, I know. Um, I <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have I, my my Roth there anymore. I, I I've long since transferred it. But um, I first I first my first move was to open uh, a Roth with my insurance agent and the fees. My goodness, the fees. Uh, but one of the things I noticed as we were going through the recession is that I kept getting dividends, and then I wasn't you know, and, and then because I was like, oh no, I can't I can't touch this money until I'm fifty nine and a half. What am I gonna do? Uh, I noticed that I was getting dividends all through the recession, and so I was nice about. I was I was happy about that. I was happy to see the dividends in in the account. I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is good. I'm still getting payouts, even though the market is down and my portfolio is down overall. I, I'm still getting these dividends, and they're being reinvested. And then the thing I noticed uh, when I checked a couple years later after the market recovery from that the 2008, 2009, 2010 recession ended. Um, and the recovery was starting, then I noticed that like my balance just shot right up there. And so the fact that I, you know, felt like, oh no, I can't, I can't tap into this money. So I couldn't give into panic because it was a Roth IRA held in this very, you know, strict account. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so that gave me the chance to look and see how the, how these things work. And then also, uh, see that, oh, well, I'm still getting dividends. Those dividends are being reinvested. Now they're worth even more as the as the market is going through recovery. Um, and it just kind of has got me to, you know, I've learned more and, and everything since, obviously, but it just really, that was a lesson to me that I, I don't need to yeah, freak out. Yeah, you lived it. Yeah. Right. You, you lived that. You experienced that. And if you're in, in, but a lot of times, um, that client, potential clients or prospective clients who come to me are asking me, well, why would I want to work with an investment advisor if they're not going to be able to give me that highway, that paved road, that definitive answer? And I say, number one, expect the ambiguity. It baked into the cake on the investments and, and, and what happens with everything that can be controlled because it can't be controlled. 
However, however, you want to work with an advisor who understands the guideposts, understands you, and the reason that you're hiring the advisor is to do some of what you just said, Miranda, keep you in the place where you need to be. Like David was mentioning, a lot of it is psychology, but way beyond that, it's helping you to stay in the lowest tax bracket that you possibly can. It's helping you keep your costs down. That adds money to your returns. It's helping you plan for things that you didn't expect. It's looking at your real estate. Most people don't realize that advisors like David are looking at the whole picture. They're looking at all of your real estate investments or your, your primary home, your family, college expenses. If you have a child that's, that might be on the autism spectrum and you have to save for that extra retirement, all of these things play into it. It's just not about, hey, what should my next investment be? And, you know, should I only just stick with, you know, 70, 30? Um, and if I, if I am going to do that, why would I need you? Because investment advisors are doing, are there to collaborate you with you to do a lot more than just what's your next investment. I agree with you, Pam, but you know what? I have, to, I have to throw this in there, too. One of the reasons you go to an investment advisor, and this, by the way, is true of virtually any intellectual professional, a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, a CPA, you know, whatever, you're, you're going to them because they know what to do, because they're certain, you know? And so you go to a lawyer, and you know that lawyer is going to represent you to the best of their ability. And, and so you're going to them, you're buying certainty, and often you're paying a lot for it. Even though we live in a world that is uncertain, there is nobody who knows where the stock, stock market is going to go in the next 15 minutes or really in the next 15 years. We can tell you what it's done the past 15 years, but the truth is there's a lot of variables and nobody can control where the stock market is going next. And so there isn't any real certainty, but that is kind of what people are paying for, isn't it, David? Isn't it, Pam? Yeah, I, yeah, I think, Stacey, you're, you're, you're 100% right. I, I think, you know, another thing they're, they're thinking about is is someone who's objective versus subjective. You know, well, the, there the, you go. That's a great right? way of putting it. The, the client is perpetually subjective. It's their money. It's their retirement. It's their dream. The advisor is trying to be objective. And the advisor, although they're listening to the client, it's the advisor that is hopefully saying, the market is down, don't sell. The client is saying, I want to sell. I really, what if it goes lower? Uh -huh. um, so I think one of the very critical aspects for the advisor is is really just to maintain that objectivity, whereas sometimes the um, the client just gets nervous and gets scared. Well, that was the client who came to you yeah, with the seven thirty right. question. But you know, I I mean, I think to to also answer that question is that the advisor's job and what you should expect of an advisor is not the wizard and the crystal ball. You should expect the best possible path to the outcome that you're looking to accomplish, the best possible path and the most efficient way to get there based on that advisor's own experience, and which is probably a lot more than your experience, working with multiple clients who are just like you. So again, guideposts, because nobody can control what's gonna happen externally, but having the best guidepost to create the best path, you're either going to do it on your own and you're going to have confidence that you can create your best path, or you're going to say, that's why I'm going to an investment advisor. I don't expect the wizard, but I do expect I'm going to be able to carve out the best path for me to reach the, the outcome that I want on multiple levels. 
Yeah, that's true. You know, here's here's something else that I say often too, and tell me what you guys, I'm sure you'll agree with this, but no matter who the advisor is, and, and I, you know, and honestly, I could tell David's a great advisor. I mean, I've done this for a really long time. He's a trustworthy guy. I would totally have no problem uh, you working with him. But at the same time, I always tell people, remember, this money means more to you than anybody else, no matter who they are. So take part. Do not, you don't get to go, oh, I trusted Pam. She let me down. You know, you have to take part in what's going on with your money. That doesn't mean you have to be David, but you have, but you're allowed to ask him questions. You're allowed to understand what the heck's going on with your money. You know, and if, and if you're not interested enough to take part in what's happening, then maybe you shouldn't be in anything that has risk to it at all. How would you respond to that, David? I can't disagree. Uh, we require our clients to participate. Both both spouses, you know, are required to participate. Uh, they need to be informed. They need to be aware. If, if they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, it is much. It's a much better outcome than somebody who just takes thinks that we're. You know that somebody who's who's just an absentee client who is relying on us to do something, it doesn't work. It does well. Clients need to know what's going on. And again, we we need both spouses, if there are two spouses, uh, to be involved. Uh, what what if what if something happens to one of them and 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 the other one is going to have to pick up? Yeah, that was the question, David. That our seventy thirty client who came to me, who I referred to you. That's what you told me that you were discussing with him, that you had said to him, I know you're talking to me, but remember you, you were talking about where I, I'd really like to have your, your, your wife in this conversation uh-huh. with us from the jump. You're right. So uh, I said to him, I said, look, I need, I, need your, I need your spouse to be there for 15 minutes. If she wants to stay longer, I would love it. She doesn't have to understand or know the minutiae, but she absolutely has to understand the big picture. And I want her to ask questions, and I want her to simply, if she has any concerns, let's talk about it. And that that was one, and first of all, she didn't stay for 15 minutes. It turned into a two-hour meeting. And she was there for an hour, she was there for almost an hour and 45 minutes with with her husband and for the first time someone asked or i asked her the question what are you most afraid of and and it wasn't it wasn't a financial what are you just most afraid of and it it was it was so no one ever asked her the question before was it spiders it wasn't spiders. It was actually, it was... It was running out of money. It, it, and it wasn't running out of money. It was if her spouse died before she did, oh. or, or the client, Pam, that you had referred over, if he yeah. died before she did, she is completely reliant on him, wouldn't know what to do without him. Yeah. And that started the conversation, well, then why are you or why were you hesitant to even have this conversation in the first place? I want you to get involved. I need you to get involved. And since then, she's been on every single call. And that's awesome. And that and that's what we want. That's what we we really are looking for is participation from both clients. Collaboration. It makes a better relationship. 
Yeah. Stacy, when you and I were in the business, you know, many moons ago, and we were starting out as brokers, you know, we really didn't want the client to... Pro- I'm telling you the truth. We didn't. We wanted... We were selling, you know, yeah. we were selling stuff, and we were trying to get the next account opened as fast as we could get it. So we were more like, hey, if you want to hang back and not be part of this, and you just want me to manage your money, that's fine. That's not David. That's not a real investment advisor that's a fiduciary fee only. They actually want to collaborate with you. They need your voice. Yeah, I really hope that people listening to this podcast, uh, Pam, David, Miranda, I I really hope that they're hearing what David is saying because this is what you want to listen to, folks. This is what you want to hear when you go to interview financial advisors, the stuff that David is saying. If you hear someone sounding like a salesman, Think back to this podcast when you're here listening to somebody who doesn't sound like a salesman. They sound like an expert who has your best interest at heart. That's what you're looking for. And and they're out there, but they're not everywhere. So when you're when you're when you're looking for that advisor, and I think you should if you don't know how to do it yourself, then look for someone like David. And and I'm not you know, I'm not putting him on a pedestal. There are plenty of other quality guys, but you have to talk to several before you recognize quality when you see it. Make sense? That's why I created Wealthramp. <laughs> and here we go to the commercial segment of our program. No, and it's absolutely true. Well, it true. happens to be true. It, it does happen to be true. Pam is my friend, and she's also uh, she's providing a great service for people. It costs them nothing uh, to, to find that right advisor. And you do also, you don't just recommend one person, right, Pam? I mean, if, if, unless there is only one person, but you say here are three no, people no, and you no, talk no, to them. No. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to screen out and make sure that you're not going to have an awkward conversation with an advisor who's not a good fit for you. So I ask enough questions so I can screen out advisors who don't fit. These are all fiduciary fee-only advisors. Now we want to narrow it down. And the way to narrow it down is get those questions answered, then present you with three advisors. And I encourage everybody, please, I beg of you, even if you fall in love with David, if he's the first person you talk to, Please talk to all three advisors so you can take your time, breathe, listen to what the, just get a feel for how the conversation is going. Take your time. And you've got three advisors to choose from. Yeah. And that's the way to do it, folks. Okay, folks, we are at the end of our podcast today and we're out of time, but we are never, ever out of topic. You can dig a little deeper, find links to all in our, in our show notes, going to put links to everything we talked about today. You're going to be able to find Pam. You're going to be able to find David. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. How's that for a promise, guys? And don't forget to check out Miranda's <laughs> online home as well. That is mirandamarquit.com. And visit Pam at her website, wealthramp.com. Again, all in our show notes. If you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you like what we do, do something for us and subscribe to our podcast. Takes you two seconds, really helps us though. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. Thank you so much for being here, David and Pam. Uh, I'm Stacey Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. Thanks for having me out with us, everybody. We're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>